Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, thank you for listening to Mortification of Spin today. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined as always by Carl Truman and Amy Bird. Today, we want to talk about a serious topic. Um, we oftentimes, I think, usually talk about serious topics, but we're also uh, quite willing to throw in some humor and irony along the way. This is one of those subjects that really does not lend itself to that. And of course, it, it has to do with the, uh, the recent uh, news that has flared up around the issue of abortion. Um, in recent weeks, there has been the annual uh, March for Life in Washington, D.C., which is, uh, from what I, I understand, still uh, the largest human rights public demonstration in the world. Um, but that was followed quickly by a very disturbing uh, development in the state of New York. Um, Governor Cuomo, along with the state legislature, uh, celebrated uh, quite vociferously the passage of uh, legislation that will allow for uh, late-term abortions. There's many states that do not allow, technically at least, don't allow for um, for third trimester or, or late-term abortions. Of course, uh, the implication here is that uh, an abortion can be had over issues of, quote, the, the health or the well-being of the mother, um, up to up to the point of of delivery. Um, and so there was great outrage over that. Well, just the very next week in my own state of Virginia, uh, state de delegate uh, Kathy Tran uh, was introducing uh, a piece of legislation that she was uh, sponsoring dealing with uh, late-term abortions. And in a, a committee hearing, she was asked numerous questions um, and she confirmed rather uncomfortably, I might add, but she confirmed uh, that her piece of legislation would allow for abortions up to uh, the, the time where the mother is actually delivering the child. Now, that's not uh, something that I read into her comments, but she was repeatedly pressed uh, because her questioner knew that that's what the legislation allowed for, but he wanted her to, to name it in a public hearing, which she did, even using the terminology of, of during dilation, during the actual moment of delivery. Delegate Tran uh, said that her legislation does allow uh, for the mother and uh, in consultation, of course, with the doctor uh, to perform the abortion even at that moment. Well, obviously, that caused a great deal of concern uh, throughout the state and throughout the country. Um, but interestingly enough, the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, the very next day was being interviewed on a radio program, and he was asked about uh, Ms. Tran's uh, introduced legislation, and he was asked if he stood by or agreed with that legislation, and he gave it his full agreement. In fact, he went even further than Ms. Tran did in describing a situation where a living child would be delivered and, quote, be kept comfortable as the, quote, mother and provider slash doctor would decide whether or not to revive that child or what to do with that child. Now, that obviously steps into an arena of, of moral um, chaos that was startling. 
And he was asked in a press conference, that is Governor Northam, the very next day, as to whether or not he still stood by the comments that he made. And uh, he expressed his um, support for what he said, that he did not regret saying anything that he said. Indeed, he doubled down um, on his statements. So that's where we are. Um, it, it's, it's not that this is unheard of. In fact, this goes on. We know that this goes on in various hospitals and uh, medical clinics, abortion clinics. We know that children are delivered alive and either left to die on a stainless steel pan or dispatched by a doctor or nurse uh, in the moments after their live birth. We know it happens. We have congressional testimony that it happens. We have eyewitness testimony that it happens. But it is very unnerving to hear elected officials, to hear the governor of the state of, of Virginia, to, to actually very nonchalantly advocate for such a process. So, Carl and Amy, that's, um, that's where we are. That is what is going on. And I wonder if we could talk for the time that we have here together um, about what is going on in this debate, how we as Christians, who by definition I would hope would be, quote, pro-life, beginning at conception, but how do we talk about that? How do we speak to hearts and minds about this issue? Um, how do we persuade people well and minister to those well? who have themselves uh, been a part of this sin, um, how do we hold forth the gospel uh, to them? So let's begin probably where we ought to begin at the very beginning, which is uh, what constitutes a person? Carl. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important point, Todd, because the, the debate typically isn't about when life begins between the two sides in the abortion debate. Uh, I don't think anybody or very, very few people on the pro-choice side who have any knowledge of, uh, of what's going on in, in, the, in the womb would argue that life doesn't begin at conception. The key issue is, is when does that which is conceived become a person? And again, part of the problem one faces there is that living in a world where we have detached our thinking about what constitutes a human person from any notion of any kind of sacred order, any notion of any authority outside the present day and our immediate experience of the world, renders the answer to that question somewhat subjective. Uh, as a Christian, I, I look at uh, a, an embryo in the womb and, and say, that is a not a potential person, mm -hmm. but that's a person of potential. Everything that is necessary for the formation of a living, breathing, interacting human being is present in the womb. And therefore, I look at that, the, uh, at what is there in terms of its end. And right. I think Frank Beckwith, good friend of this program, has mm -hmm. made an excellent case for that in his, in his book, Defending Life. That I, I, you know, Just a quick book plug for Frank. Yep. Anybody interested in, in the abortion debate should get hold of Francis Beckwith's yes. uh, book, uh, Defending Life. So that's the key. And of course, uh, when, you, when you come to reflect upon what constitutes a person, if you've detached your thinking about personhood from 
the idea of the image of God. Uh, and if your understanding of personhood becomes subjective, then in many ways your understanding of personhood is going to become intuitive. And the way we experience persons is that they are independent, thinking, speaking individuals with whom we can interact, engage, who can transform us and who we can transform through our interaction with them. Embryo doesn't count at that point, mm -hmm. nor incidentally does a newborn child. Right. Newborn right. child uh, is very limited in the way it's able to interact with the world, is, is not independent, is very dependent mm -hmm. upon the mother for sustenance, protection, etc., etc. Has, no, has no utility. Has no utility as such. And this is why, in a sense, uh, Ms. Tran is, is expressing in a moderate form what has already been argued with some consistency and vigor by the Princeton uh, ethical philosopher Peter Singer, mm -hmm. that is that, that even children outside of the womb do not constitute persons right. until some time of greater, shorter, arbitrary length thereafter. So Singer is quite open in his advocating of what, what we would call infanticide. Right. The, the slaying of a child outside the womb. So, uh, Ms. Tran might be presenting something that, that seems rather radical at, at the level of, hmm. of state legislation. But in actual fact, it's, it's somewhat more conservative yeah. than a position being pushed by Peter Singer. And I'd add this. I'd say the difference between Tran and Singer is Singer's more consistent. Yeah. Singer, yeah. I think, is the more honest and consistent thinker on this point, because yeah. if you're going to deny personhood to the baby in the womb, then you really have to deny personhood to the baby outside of the womb right. until a set of further criteria have been right. Exactly. And, and I think that that's an important point, because, uh, again, if you're going to say that um, a, a baby may be aborted as he or she is being delivered, then there's really no literally no difference between that child at that moment than that than what that child will be uh, five minutes later well you, you're basically arguing that the attachment of an umbilical cord right stops somebody being a person and that's right. patent nonsense well and i think that, right. that also mm -hmm. kind of takes that question about personhood all the way back to the mother and 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 how this connects maybe to uh the identity debates going on in secular society as well and the idea of of gender, because personhood expresses itself in two ways, as male or female. And as a, as a female, I mean, every month, our body attests to the fact that we are preparing to receive and nurture life. Mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm. um, that's part of my personhood, too. Mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm. I'm denying, really, my own personhood in mm -hmm. having an abortion. Well. And, you know, that's an, uh, that's an interesting point, because I see that tied into something that I thought about, Carl, when you, when you were speaking as well about um, our need, and I mean, we as Protestants, our need for good, robust, biblical, um, if I can put it this way, natural law arguments, mm -hmm. that, that when, we, when Protestants allow Roman Catholics to basically own natural law, that's a loss for us. Because so much, I think, of, of the, um, the effective communication about the problem, the, the, the inherent problem with abortion lies in uh, what, we, what we would call natural law or, or even some of these common sense type of observations that we see in God's book of nature every day. And in my 
thinking that when it comes to addressing abortion, we have to join what is explicitly scriptural, where um, clearly life in the womb is considered life and, and, and a person in the womb. You know, who was the, who was the first one to, 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 to thrill at the presence of the Messiah, but, but, a, but a child in embryo, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but. So clearly we have those texts in scripture that help us, but we all, but God's also given us a wealth of information in his book of nature about who this is in, in the womb. Well, and, and even, um, the and, and I hope the Protestants like can the do word that well. gender. Um, I was reading in Prudence Allen's uh, concept of women, volume three, she kind of talks about the word gender is essential. You know, it's connected to sex. You go back to the root gen and it means to, produce or beget. And so we have mm-hmm. Genesis and the mm-hmm. generations of Adam. And so I think that when we're talking about this category too of life and personhood, that it's also something that's connected, you know, connected to family, to community. And in our society, everything is so individualistic and it's about mm-hmm. my own self-fulfillment. Right. And so I'd really wonder like how we can better portray meaningfulness in life and as that's connected to sacrifice because as you're talking about a child a baby not being able to contribute there is i do think that they contribute in the sense of a generation as a unique unrepeatable person and the fact that i had to sacrifice for them like they're contributing Mm -hmm. to my meaningfulness and fullness in life in that way yeah Yeah, absolutely there there is clearly um tremendous um spiritual and, and emotional uh, utility if you like for 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 a baby for uh, a child in utero there's tremendous utility to that but the, the point is is that, is that peter singer right and, i mean i know what the point is view, but do not deny that there's utility, and that's why that's into that you know and and mm-hmm. and that's where that's one of the reasons why i think we need to we, we need to have be, be very good at articulating um natural law um into this along with scripture obviously yeah that but that then takes us to to a much bigger problem in terms of uh, of modern society and culture and that's the whole idea of teleology the whole yes. idea of existing for an end outside right. ourselves right it's interesting that the the argument for killing the baby as it's popping out of the womb uh as it's coming through the the passage is to mm-hmm. uh is to alleviate the mental suffering of the mother if the child right. is going to cause, if the birth is going to cause mental distress or hardship or harm to the mother, well, that's a that's a fascinatingly subjective category. Mm-hmm. Bottom line yes. is, who can define that? Well, it's right. just going to be the doctor with his prescription mm-hmm. pad who decides right. on the spur of the moment uh, what what constitutes uh, that that particular criterion. But the second thing is that living in a world where that's even a plausible concern. You know, mm-hmm. To put it really bluntly, who cares about the mental health of the mother? Now, I'm putting that in a sort of blunt way to say 300 years ago, that wouldn't have been an issue. Right. Now, that may be, maybe we've improved in our concern <laughs> for the mental health, health yeah. of the mother, but, but that, it, that particular issue is only plausible in a society where there is a strong psychological therapeutic uh, accent already operative. And the thing about psychological therapeutic societies is the ends are all inwardly driven. Right. And for the moment, they're not outwardly driven for some kind of end beyond myself in the future. So right. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, you and have a and, child, if you like, to to feel good now. You see, right. with holiday, Hollywood stars, they adopt a child, right. always from Africa, never from the inner cities, of course, right. as a kind of fashion accessory to enhance their cool here and now. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's, it's you a, really have children in order to to make yourself irrelevant. You're <laughs> producing the next generation so that you can be replaced. That mm-hmm. doesn't play well in a modern therapy. Right. You know, and it's interesting. And aim, actually, all three of us are in a similar situation in that our children have been in the process of leaving our homes. I am now utterly irrelevant. I have made <laughs> myself entirely indispensable. Carl's an empty nester. Yeah. Uh, Amy has experienced this with uh, their oldest child. Um, I am in the process of experiencing this. Uh, our, our oldest child lives uh, away. Our, our middle child now lives not far from us, but, but in, in an apartment. And, and one of the things I've noticed, and, and it hurts, you know, you have to process through this, is that, Carl, you know, to Carl's point, I become more and more irrelevant. And, and the whole point is that having children is not about my self-building project. It, it's about the contribution to the world, uh, which, is, which goes back to the creation mandate. Um, it's about God's glory right. and our and our and our uh, contribution uh, to uh, to to the world. It's not ultimately about me. And and in terms of 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 the mental well being, I think you know again that, that's a relative thing. I want my wife to have good, solid mental well being. I want to have mental well being, but that in no but that can't ever compete in a relative sense with whether or not I should kill someone else. Well, when when you, you know. have, I mean, when you create life. It's not just, you know, obviously to be irrelevant <laughs> and to replace yourself, but there's a legacy like, and as Christians, you know, we're passing down the faith mm-hmm. to the next generation. And I think that's mm-hmm. where, and, and we are not just exiting the world, we're headed somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yep. so, I mean, I think that, you know, that whole category of meaningfulness, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how we can see that. Yeah, well, well, I think. I mean, to me, it sounds like what what you're saying is that you know this it, not not only tied to the creation mandate, but also as people who understand that we're tied together in a covenant. Yes, we're raising other little covenant keepers mm-hmm. to to carry on this project of 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 God's glory uh, in the world and His witness in in the world. Um, uh, and yeah. this, I think, is where the church as community becomes very important. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we go back to the early church, the Didache, one of the earliest texts that doesn't mm-hmm. actually make it into the New Testament, specifically bans abortion and infanticide among, mm-hmm. among Christians. Right. By the time we get to the second, third centuries, we're getting a lot of criticism of the church because it's overly feminized. It, there's a disproportionate number of women in the church. Well, that's what you'd expect from a community that doesn't practice infanticide because infanticide is generally loaded against women so if you're not killing girl children then your community will end up with with more women than society in general and the church becomes a witness thereby Mm. to a different way of life it it walks to the beat of a different Mm. drum and i think we're saying how do we how do we speak to the world on this well one you know those of you who have a vote in the united states i'm not one of them can cast your vote in appropriate ways on that issue Mm. as and when you get the chance and can use your constitutional rights to campaign to protect the unborn but we can also show people a better way mm-hmm. by being a church that cares for life, by yeah. being a church where p- 
parents are good parents, where marriage is respected, uh, where children are brought up in the fear and nurture uh, of the Lord. And when, when outsiders come in, they see something. They see yeah. something different. They see something that is attractive. And you might say they learn the ways of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and hopefully what happens in church I think maybe just to put it another way is that is that people will see children being treated the way Jesus is portrayed as treating children. Mm. There is this uh, a generous welcome uh, to children rather than a putting away. The posture towards children is yes, come, uh, rather than you, you are uh, an embarrassment or you're just nothing but a, a distraction to us. We have this positive. Yeah, uh, you come towards us. Let, let me offer this thought as well. As, as we think about our, our communication concerning abortion, um, there's some debate among Christians. There's a debate among pro-life Christians um, about how um, graphic our language should be, should images be shown. Now, while I'm in favor of, of, of being properly discreet, I would not use graphic language or, or ever want to show uh, graphic images to, to, to young ones. Or to people whose uh, constitution would cause a kind of unnecessary emotional uh, effect. Nevertheless, I, I do believe that we need to call it what it is um, and not find euphemisms for it, but to actually call it what it is, describe what it is. I, I, I thought earlier about, um, we, of course, we're familiar with the case of, of Emmett Till, who was this young uh, African-American man who was who was beaten and murdered grotesquely um, ended up being because of a false charge that he had whistled at a white woman. And his mother did something really interesting at his funeral. She insisted on an open casket and, and he, he, his face was utterly desecrated in, in most grotesque sorts of ways. She insisted on an open casket. She said, because I want the world to see what they did to him. And, and again, I'm not arguing for careless indiscretion here, mm -hmm. but I, I, I do think that there are times and places where we need to say this is what it is um, and, and to show well, and I think, what it is. You know, kind of like a good uh, novelist, I think we need to show what it is a little better than just saying, oh, this is murder and telling. Mm -hmm. okay. Because, yeah, I agree, it is murder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, mm -hmm. That just becomes like, I think the secular world just kind of takes that as like something from my Good belief point. system, right? Good and, point. and not mm -hmm. theirs. And, that, and they have yes. other belief systems. But like, if mm -hmm. you were to talk, you know, I used to always say like, if you were to describe to a seven-year-old the process of abortion, mm -hmm. they would tell you that that's murder, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and right. you know, in terms that are appropriate to tell a seven-year-old, sure. you know? So, mm -hmm. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, but I really do think that we, need to describe and i think that mm -hmm. this is where like some uh pregnancy centers like CareNet bringing in sonogram machines um mm -hmm. is really helpful mm -hmm. because right. a lot of these uh, pregnant uh young women will see the heartbeat of their child and then right. they see it you they hear you, mm -hmm. you hear it going and it's inside of you and then you're like right. i have a life inside of me you know right. in intuitively the child becomes a person when we see it as a person, mm -hmm. and sonograms mm -hmm. do that. I mean, mm -hmm. interesting enough, Thomas Aquinas, of course, didn't think that the that the soul that the 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 embryo was ensouled until sometime mm -hmm. after conception, mm -hmm. pretty much round about the time that 
the embryo started to look like a person, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Once yeah. it starts to look human, mm-hmm. we start to think of it as human. So I think, you know, sonograms are very, very important for for winning, you know, aesthetics are important for how we think. And sure. Perceiving yeah. the, the embryo as a person is mm-hmm. is absolutely critical. Yeah. It's, hard, and in the early- it's hard to see a blob of cells as a person, right. even though I right. myself would want to argue that's a person of potential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not so intuitive. It's not so intuitive. As, as Amy said, that heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, yeah. and you can almost hear the heartbeat as soon as you find out you're pregnant. Now. That's right. It's very early. So, very early. I mean, on. I just, I do think that um, there are a lot of ways where we can be a- mm-hmm. and are beginning to, um, yeah. instead of just shouting, this is murder. Um, I, I don't right. think we're hurt as well that way. And, and I don't think we're yeah. describing. Yeah. And, and, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't argue because I agree with you. I would not argue like my approach to, to someone who is, who is pro abortion on this. I, I would not want to get in their face and shout because it would be fruitless to do that. I'd want to go back to what we were talking about earlier. I'd, I'd want to say, okay, let's talk about personhood yeah. yeah let's talk about personhood um my i i have and i've talked to pro-abortion people about that and 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 have been i'm actually more careful in what i say to them than i am to a fellow christian who is unwilling to sometimes because of of political commitments unwilling to to draw a, a clear line on abortion and so i'm always more um uh, more confrontational with a brother or sister in Christ than I am with someone who, who doesn't claim to be on that. And on that issue, I think uh, let's, um, we talked about this yesterday, Todd, you know, credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Lentz. How about that? Who, who we have ridiculed <laughs> on this program. Yeah, and for those we, who don't know, for those who don't know, yeah. Carl Lentz is the pastor of Hillsong, New York. The very, Uber. very cool, hip, uber hipster. Everything yeah. we look down on in this program <laughs> because we can't right. achieve it ourselves. Uh, <laughs> that's that's who Carl Lentz is. Yeah, he's spoken out on this. He called it demonic. Yeah, and yet, without mentioning names, we have mm. high-profile yeah. Presbyterian pastors who. And this is what's so ironic to me, who claim to be cultural transformationists, right? who will not speak in a way that offends the culture on this point. That's I'm right. not a cultural transformationist. Right. right. Yeah, I've, I've not put myself out there as somebody who, hey, I'm going to speak to the culture and transform it for Christ on these issues. Right. But when you do that, and then you keep your mouth shut on right. an issue like this, yes. that's, you're getting, yeah. you know, you're getting I- towards those who kept their mouth shut during the Holocaust, for absolutely. Example. You know, it absolutely. was going to be offensive to speak up on behalf mm-hmm. of the Jews during the Holocaust. Yep. Yep. What's going on here? Where you know, credit where credit's due. Carl Lentz, he's wobbly on all kinds of stuff. <laughs> exactly, but he draws the line here. Yeah, and that's he quite correct. I mean, credit where credit's sure. due. That's in, pretty in New York. In New York. Yeah. Absolutely, that's pretty absolutely. courageous. And and when I saw that yesterday, you know, my mind went straight to my Presbyterian brothers in New York who again i've read some of my pres- my fellow pca guys in new york that call racism demonic i mean have called have called racism everything we would want to call it and yet they've remained silent on this issue yeah. and and i can only conclude that there's a lack of courage there because the fact is if you call racism demonic in new york new york will applaud you yeah it enhances it, your career. Exactly. It enhances exactly. your career. But you call abortion demonic in New York, and it's going to hurt you. Yeah. Changing tack somewhat, Amy, Todd, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Amy speak to this first. Um, churches, if they're doing the job properly, 
they're going to have women who've had abortions mm-hmm. crossing their thresholds. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the immediate aftermath, maybe many years afterwards. Amy, what would you suggest as a woman the church should be thinking of as, as a way of, of caring for such such people and and Todd, maybe you can chip mm-hmm. in on how, as a pastor, you you would see your church as as addressing such mm-hmm. people. Because yeah, they're okay. They're going they're forgiven by the blood of Christ, but we know that some sins, particularly sins against the body, mm-hmm. carry weight years yep. down the line. Long after the person knows they're forgiven, they can still wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, right. thinking, yeah. "Gosh, I." I slew my child or something like mm-hmm. this. What do you think, Amy? How, how yeah. should the church be I mean, thinking about pastorally caring in that I know situation? I've come across that many times. Um, and it's really made me want to be careful about how I talk about abortion because, um, yes, I, I don't want to put velvet around it. Like it's, it's not what it is. But at the same time, like even like if saying something like it's demonic, um, <laughs> I would be careful how I'd say something like that only because I don't want somebody who has had one to think I'm demonic or, you know, I would want to make sure that I'm talking about it in a way that it's not some sort of unforgivable sin so that they feel able to come forward and come to the church and worship without feeling like a hypocrite and being able to confess, being able to um, seek healing from that because there's a lot of, yeah, years down the road realizing what you've done, um, but also the sense of loss right away um, that I think every woman who has an abortion has to deal with and um, for the rest of her life. And that must be um, a horrible pain, a horrible pain. Mm-hmm. And then um, to deal with the fact that you're responsible for that. And um, so, A, being a church that is going to be welcoming to pregnant teenagers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, to single moms, Mm -hmm. um, and to really truly help them and, and, you know, through the gospel, being able to to pronounce what sin is sin is sin, but also to be able to be an accepted person in that church just as much as everybody else in that church who's sinned. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. um, to help care for those people. And and yeah, to, to be careful not, to, even though I do believe that there are different um, levels of sin, mm-hmm. um, then that means all yeah. the more that we need to care for, the, uh, for them as they're going through the consequences of, of, of mm-hmm. those levels of sin. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I think that it's good to have counseling in place for people and resources available to them and all kinds of things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I agree, Amy, with your assessment that uh, as far as calling it demonic, I would not call it demonic if that was the only sin I was going to call demonic. Yeah. But, but the fact is I call greed demonic and I call disobedience to parents demonic um, because they are to, to, to one degree or another. Um, and, and I would want the person who has had an abortion to be able to understand what what really happened okay i i I contributed to the slaying of my child because if i don't name that then my repentance will will be tepid and it won't be complete i i i as a pastor i'm not going to be able to with great gusto give them romans 8 1 
if they haven't first said, this is what I did, you know, and, and again, not for the purpose of, um, of humiliating that person, but, but for proper, um, repentance. Um, uh, you know, if, if, if my child, um, um, acts like a horse's rear end one day, um, and, and they, and then they come back and are sorry, I want them to be able to name, you know, here's, here's the thing you did. Um, and, and as Carl mentioned, when we talk about sins against the body, the, um, uh, the, the, the stakes kind of rise high. If you like the, all, all sins are equally damning, but, but not all sins are equally damaging and abortion along with, you know, for instance, sexual sins and that kind of thing, uh, uh, cause such a great deal of damage. Like how would you, how would you define it being demonic then? I think that's qualifying what that mm -hmm. means. Mm -hmm. I think is important. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, I, I see all sin, obviously, without diminishing the, 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 um, our own personal responsibility. Right. I'm not saying, that, by calling a sin demonic, I'm not saying the devil made me do it. I'm saying that, that the origins of my sin are in hell, so to speak. You know, um, um, when, when, I'm, when a child is disobedient to their parents, they are denying God's authority in their life. There's, there's a demonic thing to that. Not talking about demon possession, mind you. But but something that is inspired out of the bowels of the enemy, so okay. to speak. Um, and and so I, I I want us to be um, conversant with that kind of language to call to, to be able to, to identify the depth of wickedness that is within sin. Um, the the other thing I would say I mean I agreed with all of your you know in terms of, man, but welcome don't shame pregnant teenagers. Help them walk through repentance gently. Help them walk through repentance, but don't. Don't ridicule them. Don't shame them, and certainly don't cast them out. Um, they need to be. They need. They need to know that there will be a home for them in this church. Mm -hmm. That that if if this child who sinned sexually and now finds herself pregnant, um, if 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 she's doing the right thing to keep that child, then as the church, we need to come around that girl mm -hmm. and say we're standing with you. And so that's got to be there. That's not the case and a lot of the time. And even it, to it the point where a lot of churches make teenagers get up in front of yep. the church and confess. And exactly. And I've been, I've been very happy horrible. with the way our congregation has handled this a couple of times when, when we have handled it. Um, this person has uh, been helped to walk through repentance, but been treated with dignity right. and love dignity. and grace. And, and, and now there's these um, babies that are being really well nurtured. Mm -hmm. Um, in our church yeah. because of that. Now, the, 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 the other thing I, I, I'd say is that along with all of those special things we do, we want to help provide counseling. And uh, if someone comes to our church, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. This is going to ruin uh, me. You know, help them walk through that, help get them counseling. But the other thing is we, we can't diminish the importance of the weekly um, uh, um, um, liturgy of course, um, yeah. in our corporate worship of confession of sin and assurance of pardon every mm -hmm. week where we not only pray a corporate prayer of repentance, but then have a time of silence where people are invited and called um, to confess their sin before the Lord. And then they're given the assurance of pardon. Um, that should never be something that is just uh, done with, with, with dead formalism mm -hmm. um, in our church, every because every week I need that. I need that. And, um, and, and, and we want to communicate that whether, whether your sin is um, you ate too many cookies this week, or if you had an abortion this week, Here's your time to repent of that sin and, and to receive, you know, the grace of the gospel. So, well, this has been a, 
a long and, and, and complicated discussion. Of course, abortion, as we've, we've just scratched the surface, but it's very clear from what we've, we've done here. I hope that abortion touches on philosophical and theological issues of, of what it means to be a human person uh, and goes right the way through to the most practical issues of, of how do we handle those who've fallen pregnant or those who've had abortions within our own congregations. There are no easy or straightforward answers to these things. They require a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, and a lot of sensitivity. And uh, again, I mentioned it during the program, but if you, if you want a, a thoroughgoing uh, philosophical legal analysis of the issue of abortion, then, then Francis Beckwith's book, mm-hmm. Defending Life, is an excellent place to start. But we ourselves are delighted to be able to offer as a premium to the program uh, a little book by the late R.C. Sproul entitled simply Abortion, in which Dr. Sproul looks at the issue through the lens of scripture. And this is a very fine, short study of the issue, very accessible. And we think if you're looking for a book to to help sharpen your own thinking on the subject, or indeed a book to, to give away to others in your congregation to get them thinking more biblically about the issue, then, then this little book is definitely worth getting hold of. It's published by uh, Ligonier uh, Ministries. We have a number of copies to give away. If you'll go to our website, uh, w- uh, mortificationofspin.org, uh, you have a chance to enter to win a copy there. And please, while you're visiting the website, consider uh, making a donation. We are a viewer-supported podcast, and every donation uh, is extremely useful to helping to keep us on the air. It only remains for me now to say thanks very much for listening, and we hope that you will join us next week. Them that's God shall get, them that's not shall lose. So the Bible said, and it still is news. Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the that's got his own that's got his own thanks for listening to mortification of spin a podcast of the alliance of confessing evangelicals to read more on hard-hitting topics like this visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org where we'll have links and other articles from amy carl and todd and while you're there please subscribe and consider making a donation And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... We have a special guest today, Liam Golliger, who was almost lucky enough to be born in England. Liam, welcome to the show, and sorry you weren't quite English. Yeah, I'm sorry to be with you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sorry for those who have to be with you regularly. (laughs) That interview is next time. Join us then. Um, first of all, I mean, before we start recording, thanks for the book, Glenn. It was really good, um, really Glad well done in, in defining the terms and, you know, being charitable um, w- without sacrificing the understanding that these are important matters. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I thought you could have said more things about me specifically. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, I was curious how the deciding to avoid the internet debate would play out on the... <laughs>
show the folks that started the internet debate. So. <laughs> We've got a bone to pick. Oh. With you, man. <laughs> I like the fact you described me as notable. I thought that was, that was, my, that was my favorite bit of the book, actually. You know, it's highlighted and underlined. I, right? I almost stopped reading right yeah, there. It seems to vanish after page two. From <laughs>